0: Father, we are grateful for the evening, and thank you for the opportunity of being able to be here with the saints, and just grateful for your word. It's, a, it's truly um light through the darkness of this world, and we're thankful that we can see things, we we have the capability of being able to see things the way they really are, and we're so grateful for that. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, so just a couple of charts that I wanted to go through, because it's like going through charts. <laughs> but hopefully they communicate something to you. And so uh, this one, I think, is a really, um, I hope that you're able to understand what this one does. And so what is it uh, focusing on? We've been talking about Satan, and so we're focusing on what Satan does. This, I think, is very effective, right? So you have um, the disputers of this age, according to First Corinthians, uh, one. And so you have a lot of people. So you have the unsafe man. They encounter these disputers and it trips them up. Right. You got all of this noise going on in Christendom about what's true. and A lot of it has no basis in fact whatsoever. You got a lot of people with different religions as Courtney talked about religious stuff that is going on. But these guys they want to dispute everything. Oh, no, that's not true. Ah, the scripture doesn't say that. And really, most of the people that I found that are this way, they don't really even have facts. They just engage in a lot of rhetoric. They like to talk. But they really can't even prove what they're saying. Then you have the world system and that Satan has put here. It can blind the unsafe man and also can, it can blind you as a spiritual believer. So you talk to a lot of people and they see the world system and all that's going on in the world system and it trips them up. They can't see what God is doing. And Satan's using the world system to blind them. And then you have this carnal believer, the wisdom of this age. Right. So the, Satan has injected the world with a light of wisdom. And I, I think it's called the age because I think that there's things going on with the age in which God is showing something to rational creatures about Himself. and I think that there's more than what meets the eye, but it comes into the world system, and it's this worldly wisdom and how people appropriate what's true and what's false, right? And a lot of people get caught up in that. right? And you can have a carnal believer, this is what the Corinthians were. And they saw you. Do you know that the Corinthians thought they were very smart people? They did. (laughs) Why did Paul say to them in first Corinthians three? If any man considers himself to be wise in this age, let him become a fool. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness alongside of God. And you have all of this stuff today that is out there. I think it's more than ever before, because. We um, have access to a lot of information. And what is it causing believers to do? And even the unsafe man to a lesser degree, I think they're overthinking life. And I tell people, it ain't that complicated. I don't think life is that complicated at all. Somehow people think it's complicated because I just hold to this. So to me, it's not that complicated. But when you have to take in all of this other stuff that Satan is throwing at people, these disputers, the world system and the wisdom of the age. And people, oh, it's so complicated. I don't know what to think. Oh, but just stay, stay here. It's, fairly, it's really simple, really. It's not that complicated. But notice what happens when you have these three elements going that Satan has put in place. People can't see what God is doing. They can't see what God is doing. I was talking to someone recently and they were talking about if there is God and if the church is right and if the Bible is right, why is there so much evil in the world? And I really felt led to tell them this. Then you would have a choice. Right. You have a choice. And there's a lot that comes with giving you the opportunity to have a choice. So then God allows for evil, so that you can have a choice. <laughs> and so it doesn't always uh, strike people that way. and don't notice Satan's craftiness and what he, he does and we've talked about this. I think we have covered this point in um, Acts 13 chapter and verse 10. A good place to see it. And what Satan does, what he's really expert at, is he gets people, and you can see it here in 2 Corinthians 11, with what he did with the Corinthians, also what he did with Eve. He gets people to think one thing when really he's after something completely different. This is a good football move, right, Dave? <laughs> this is what football is all about. You get people to think you're doing one thing, and really that's not what you're, what you're really trying to accomplish. It's a fake And I've seen it. One of those best things in basketball. This happens in athletics a lot. You ever been watching basketball, and the guy's backing the guy down, he's backing somebody down, and the guy is leaning on him, and he's waiting on that guy. He's making that guy think that he's getting ready to, he's going to hold him up, and then the guy moves, and the guy falls. (laughs) This is one of the greatest plays in basketball. Satan is a master of deception. He's a master of deception. And if you are not able to be spiritual, you will not see what he's doing. So that's why we say that overcoming your sin nature is very important in order to be able to combat Satan. And, you know, prior to that, Ephesians 6.10, it says, be empowered uh, in the Lord. Now, Paul didn't put that, that scripture in there for naught. There was a reason why he said that. That you have to be able to overcome your sin nature to be able to overcome Satan. To recognize what's going on here. So notice here with the Corinthians, here with Eve. Notice he um, uh, there appears as a serpent. Here he used false apostles. And what was the, the point with Eve to pervert God's commandment to her? Did God really say that? Once he got her to question it, she was off and running. To pervert scripture, is that the only way to do it? Paul is telling you wrong. He doesn't. He hasn't factored in this information, right? And once they accepted it, they were off and running. And what is the intent? Deception. <laughs> Satan's. He's not the hardest enemy to overcome, but if you are not watching what he does from what scripture says, he can turn you every which way but loose. That was a movie, wasn't it? I think with Clint Eastwood and the orangutan. (laughs) So notice how Satan causes men to wander from the truth. So here's an example of it. A lie. I mean, this is a huge one. You go back through the uh, book of Acts and you just see this continually. People will tell a lie that's not true and Satan uses it to bring persecution against the apostles and other saints. Look at Thessalonica in the 17th chapter of Acts. These uh, guys were led to the Lord um, in the church of Thessalonica, wasn't a church then. And what did they say? These men are teaching decrees that are contrary to Caesar. That was a lie. That's not what they were doing. And what happened? A big uproar broke out. So he's very effective in using lies to really goad people to do what he wants them to do. And so that's his method. The outcome? Deception. The result? Blindness to the truth. And so Satan, while he's not the hardest enemy to overcome... He's one of the most crafty enemies that you and I will deal with because it's not always what you see in front of you. We get stuck on what's right in front of us and we don't see that there's a hammer coming from the other direction. (laughs) And so, I mean, you have to be able to look at things as they really are from what you understand scripture and understanding who your enemy is and how he works. For example, we looked at 1 Peter about Satan being as a roaring lion. And so there's a lot of things he will allow to come your way are perceived to be coming your way. And before you know it, you're so discombobulated, you can't even control yourself. And all the while, it was just noise that he used to get you off track. And remember the thing we had in the bulletin last week? Oh, you can see ten troubles come, coming down the road, and before they get to you, nine of them have been sidetracked. <laughs> That's true. How many times have people, not when I'm talking about you good folks here, but people on the outside have just been overwhelmed by things that they think will happen that never materialize? How many times did that happen? I know in my life it's happened a lot of times. Just the thought of a possibility of something happen can get you so discombobulated. And before you know it, you're just out of kilter. And the thing that you were worried about never even transpired. It's the craziest thing. And yet, we could be just completely off because of it. And so, looking at these charts, I hope they give you a visual of understanding how we've been talking about from scripture, Satan works. And so we left off, and I think that we were talking about that he, he maintains control uh, over the government, uh, the governmental systems. Now, we talked about Matthew chapter 13, and I want to go back to 12, and I think that we <coughs> talked about it, but it bears, um, it's worth talking about it again and showing you again. And so right now. Remember, we talked about it last week. We were talking about um, Satan being in control of the kingdoms of this world. And so from Christ's rejection. As king. And we notice how because Pilate put on the cross, held Jesus, king of the Jews. And the Jews said. He is not our king. We have only one king, Caesar. They rejected him as king. So now, all the way over here, you have, once he, they rejected it, we went into what is called the dispensation of grace, which is where we're at today. Then you have the uh, tribulation period. And then you'll have the millennial kingdom. So from here, all the way up to this point, Satan has control over the kingdoms of this world. And we saw that, in, Courtney just read it last uh, hour in Luke chapter 4, when he told the Lord, all of these, he showed him all the kingdoms that will occur at a moment in time, and he says, all these kingdoms I'll, I'll give to you because I've been given the authority the right to have them. So, he's been given that authority, and that authority goes all the way to through to the end of the tribulation period. So now, what happens in Luke chapter 11, you see the Lord comes back, <clears throat> and he doesn't have to fall on his knees to worship Satan to get these kingdoms. I don't know, maybe the air conditioning or something? might want to check to see that door is locked back there. He doesn't have to ask... Um, for permission to get these kingdoms, and so he comes at the end of the tribulation period and notice what happens in the verse uh, fifteen and this is the second wall, and so the third wall is going to be Satan being disposed from the third heaven he's not going to have access anymore in the third heaven into the third heaven right now he has access into the third heaven, and so this is the second wall um, and notice uh, excuse me'm this is not the second wall what well, I'm getting ready to read here we're at the end of the second wall but This begins something else in verse 15. And notice in verse 15, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign, not forever and ever, it's really into the ages of the ages. And that's what's going to happen. And so we measure things today by time, there are ages that are going on outside of time, and so there are ages that are going to be occurring in times in the future. Constant ages occurring more over and over and over and over again. And so it says he shall reign into the ages of the ages is how things are going to be measured outside of time, which we, we don't even understand what that means. But notice and uh, he maintains his place right now. Right now, he's able to go back and forth in Revelation 12 and verse seven. So here's earth. Remember, we said he has a throne over the earth, and he goes into the third heaven, and he has a place right now in the third heaven. Now, I you tell people this, and they just they have a fit. I don't have a problem with it. I'm just following what Scripture says. But if you know, if you have a preconceived notion that you don't want this to be that way, you probably won't like it. But I don't think God has asked you, and I don't really think that it really matters. <laughs> It's just what it is. <laughs> so notice in, in Revelation chapter 12. And notice in verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and moon under her feet. And upon her her head was a crown of 12 stars. <clears throat> and she being with child, tra- travailing in birth, pain to be delivered. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. A behold, a great dragon, red dragon, having seven heads, two, ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was called up to God and unto his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness there. She had a place prepared of God that they should feed her uh, there a thousand two hundred and days. And so you have this picture of the uh, historical narrative of Israel and Satan. Uh, and so here you have Satan and the woman is the dragon and the woman is Israel. And notice she brings forth a man child in, in chapter four. I'm in mean verse four. And this is the Lord. And notice you have a parenthetical scripture there. She get, brings forth a child, and the, the dragon tried to devour, devour her child as soon as it was were born, uh, and she brought forth that man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And notice, he came to rule, remember, right here. But they said, we don't want you to rule over us. So now, he goes back into the third heaven. He's waiting for his enemies to be, be made his footstool, and that's going to happen. And so now you have this. It says that and he was caught up to God and his throne, which is where he's at now. So why is this going on today? All of the stuff going on in this period of this dispensation of grace? God has allowed Satan to run things right now. But there's coming a day in the 11th chapter, we just read it, where he's going to come back, as Courtney talked about, And this is different from the rapture. We can prove it's different from the rapture because he comes and he touches the ground. And it says that the land splits when he does that. That's not talked about at the rapture. So he comes, and my favorite verse, Isaiah 63, who is it that comes out of Basra with his garments stained with blood? You know where Basra is now? Don't tell the people over in Iraq, but that's where he's going to start. And he's going to start right there, and he's going to come right over, all the way over through the Battle of Armageddon, and he's going to be trouncing people, and the blood is going to be like you've never seen before. And he's not going to come back as the Jesus that they slapped around, on the one that they hung on the cross. When he comes back, he, what does he say in Matthew 24? He comes back with power and great glory. And it's going to be a totally different story, and he's not coming back asking for the kingdoms. He's coming back and he's going to take them by force, by force. And so Satan realizes this. Notice he says in verse six, he begins to realize that his time is running out for this event to occur as he loses his place. This is what's significant is right now. He has a place in heaven. He thinks that there's he's got a period of time where things are going fine. But when he is denied access to heaven, you see, this is what's significant. This has never happened before. So when he's denied access to heaven and he's limited to the earth, he's going to think, oh, boy, I'm running out of time. And so notice in verse seven. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels. Notice he has angels that are going along with his program. And prevail not. Neither was their place. Found any more. In heaven. You have people who believe. Well, the devil can't go into heaven. Because that would stain heaven. Well what did we just read. And they will throw fits. And try to make it look like this happened a long time ago. A long time ago. Well if that's the case. Then why do we read what we just read. We can read later on in the context. <clears throat> Notice. Verse 13. If that's in the past, you're going to have to make the tribulation period in the past. See, this is how scripture lines up with scripture. Notice in verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman and brought forth a man child. Uh, Notice in verse 12 is where I really wanted to go. Therefore rejoice you heavens and ye that dwell in them and woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Now that's significant because you have not seen the wrath of Satan today. You have not ever seen the wrath of Satan. Nowhere in scripture do you see Satan being wrathful. Nowhere. Not one place will you find in scripture where you can see Satan... Or his people um, acting wrathful. Why? Because his, the, the best thing that you can do in order to undermine the program is to join it. That's the best thing that you can do. Is Remember the old Roman um, story of the Trojan horse? In which they put the army men inside this big Trojan horse and rode it into the city? And the people didn't know what was getting ready to hit them. And that's what Satan has done. Well, you can see it right over in 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is why you want to know why the church is failing. It's because it's been infiltrated by people who don't even believe the facts of the gospel. And they're preaching from pulpits all across this great country of ours, all across this world. Some of the stuff that, you know, David brought up earlier about the guy who preached this message over in Europe. And some of the great, these things that people are preaching, a lot of it really is satanic. And it's hard for people to believe that a guy can stand up in behind the pulpit, use the Bible, and say things that are absolutely not true. But he's doing it. And that's how he's very, been very effective in combating the church. Highly effective. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12 Paul was fighting against these guys and they were hard to fight against how do you fight against someone who doesn't really look bad that's really hard now you see a guy and maybe he just looks like an innocent fella and nice fella already and people say well he's just old Joe maybe I shouldn't use anyone's name (laughs) (laughs) He's just old so-and-so, as the old people used to say. He's just old so-and-so. He's a nice guy. Do you know that's what makes this very effective? Is that nice guy can get up and say things that are absolutely not true. And people will accept it because it's old so-and-so. Why, he would never say anything bad. You should even trust me. To be accurate, you should be looking at what I say to see if it's accurate. That's how it works. And so notice, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul said, or in 12, he says, but what I do, I do that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion that they were in their glory. They may be found even as we for such a false apostles. They're deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. You see this? This word here is significant. It's the word metaskema. That doesn't mean anything. Metaschema. Meta what? Isn't that what they changed first book into? <laughs> meta. No, Metaschema is you're doing something to change the outward appearance. The focus is how you change your outward appearance to make it look like something you want it to look like. You see, so these people will infiltrate places and they become what those places are. That's how he does it. And so notice he says here. They are. These are therefore. uh, So he says deceitful workers, transforming themselves, verse 13, into apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now, I think he transforms himself this way in order to deceive angels, because I've never seen him as any other thing. So I don't know what he looks like as an angel of light. Have you do you? I think he's doing this for angels. Therefore, verse 15, it is no great thing if his ministers be transformed as ministers of what? Evil? People who lie, well, they lie, but you don't know it. But notice, ministers of righteousness. This is hard for people to comprehend. And this is why it's very effective. You shouldn't judge a person who is teaching in the church by who they are. Judge them by what they say. Does it line up with scripture? Is it true? And so you got people across this this country who are saying things from the pulpit of just outrageous stuff. I've stopped listening to the radio, really, uh, in a lot of ways because I can't take it. Just listening to some of the stuff that you hear on Christian radio, it's horrible. And I would not recommend to a lot of people to listen to some of the stuff that you hear on Christian radio. And so it doesn't seem like a bad thing, but when you look at what these guys do, what did uh, uh, Courtney say last week, uh, last uh, hour? They twist scripture. Do you know the best and most effective thing is to use 90% of scripture and to twist 10% of it? And so notice he says... And so, therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. And so you you look at this and you say, well, how was these how were these Corinthians food? Paul was led many of them to the Lord. You can go see it over in Acts 18. And in the period of a few years, they had gone from him leading them to the Lord to them thinking he was the false apostle. How does this happen? How does it happen? These people were hoodwinked. And so he's having to, to really um, uh, defend himself in Second Corinthians. And th- this gives you a view of what Satan does. So we were on page 44. And as you go down through here, so Satan attacks believers through a series of lust. And we were looking at some of those lusts. Um, and so we looked at to be independent of God Uh, To be lazy in spiritual things. Um, uh, Satan tempts believers to be anxious. We looked at that one. Satan tempts believers through anti-spiritual lust. In other words, instead of being spiritual and focused on who we are in Christ, the believer now has become putty for Satan uh, to to use to be disappointed in his circumstances. See, Job didn't have what we have today. He didn't even know. Do you realize Job did not know who was doing the things to him that they were doing? He didn't know who it was. He hadn't even heard that there was such a thing as Satan. Do you know that Job was the first book written in the Bible? Job did not have the revelation that you and I have today of how to overcome Satan. All he knew is that he was getting all of these attacks. And notice all of what Satan did to him. God allowed him to take his family God allowed him to take everything that he had. He had health problems. And notice the ensuing thing from that is that he ended up being discouraged, disappointed. I deserve better than this. Why is this happening to me? Read the third chapter of Job. We don't have time to do it. But look at what he says here. I wish that I basically he's saying, I wish that I had never been born. Why was I even born? Why did God not prevent my mother from giving birth to me? Well, don't tell that to people today because they think you have some kind of mental health crisis going on. Well, I guess Job would have had that because they would be ready to come in with some kind of uh, thing for this. And you you know what you see here? We know what was causing it. Satan. Satan. And so, to be discouraged in circumstances, you see that in Job 19 1 through 19. To be bitter. Now, this bitterness is actually related to the soul, but I think that Satan had an influence there in what happened with Job. And so, you can just actually just be discontent with your circumstances, and you get to the point where you just are unhappy. With how things are going in life. And you just think well this is just what I am. I'm just in a bad way right now. No you're really under satanic attack. That's really what's happening. And as long as you just say oh it's just me. And I'm just, I'm just going through a thing. right? Yeah you're going through a thing. You're going through a satanic attack. And the, the longer you refuse to acknowledge it. You will never get over it. And I'll, I will say this to you. And we know it from scripture. He's not going to stop. The the longer you decide that this is what I'm going to do, he'll just keep breaking it. Why change it? It says right there in James 4, if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. But he's not, why flee when he doesn't have to? When he's he's getting what he wants from you. And so he tempts believers to doubt. Romans 14. Um. And you might be reading the Bible or sitting there listening to the pastor and looking at scripture and says, ah, this is this even true. <laughs> I mean, what are we doing here? What is this all about? Do you know Satan tempts you to do that? He tempts you to be a coward in spiritual matters. Uh, look at this in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31. And I do think, and Pastor Dave pointed this out, I want to give him credit for this. Uh, there's a plural that he uses here in this context. Um, And it's not singular, it's a plural. Uh, And uh, 22, 31 through 33. And I think it's more than just Peter, though Peter is part of the problem. Uh, And so he says here, the Lord says this to Peter in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan have desired to have you. And I'm thinking it's uh, you guys. Satan, really, that desired, he's begged to have you. Let me have Peter. Please. Pretty please. And notice what the Lord says to him here that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And so Satan uh, wanted to, and you could see in the context here that Satan had his way, God allowed it. Now, notice what happens, what ensues here in John chapter 18. Now, we criticize Peter and we say, oh, if I were in that situation, I would have done that. Why, why was he scared? If you read the context of John and some of the other accounts, Peter, John goes in with the Lord into where the trial was going on. Peter goes, and he's with them, and all of a sudden, this little girl asked Peter, or said to Peter, aren't you one of them? Just a little girl. He says, a little maid here. She must have been like in her teens. What's she going to do? And so, not <laughs> watch what happens here. Verse 15 through 17. Then Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And John's talking about himself. And that disciple was known unto the high priest. And he went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out the other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought Peter in. Then said the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Are not thou one of this man's disciples? And he says, I am not this little girl is just asking why does he say that well you think it's not that big of a deal but when satan has you under temptation you a lot of people will lie for a lot of reasons for self-preservation if you feel like that you're in trouble right and somehow i'm going to get into somebody's going oh i'll lie 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 right whatever it takes right and then if you feel like that you want to protect yourself of, uh, of your integrity, of who people perceive you to be, people will lie. And, you know, here he was under satanic attack. I put that with Luke and I believe that's what's happening here. And so he was a coward in that instance. And you see some other verses. Satan, tempts the, the, um, t- Satan is the one who is behind lying. Notice in John chapter eight and verse forty four. John chapter 8. And so here the Lord is having this conversation with the Jews and it's not going well for them. And so he continues to point out who they are. And you know I, I really believe that probably, and I think it's not a um, far-fetched to, to say, That the apostle Paul was among these guys here who was arguing with him because he said he knew him doing his earthly ministry. Now, notice what they're doing here in verse 41. He tells them in verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God, and neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will to do. Or really, you desiring, willing to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. For he is a liar and he's the father of lies. So he's the one that originated lying. And so whenever you see that someone is lying, you can know that they're under satanic attack. And that's why I continue to say, and I believe it to this day, that Washington, D.C., Probably is where the, Satan has his throne today. Look at the amount of lying that comes out of there. Lying like you've never seen. Just lie. People lie in their every every sentence seems like it's a lie. And they lie like it's, it's out of style. So we understand that he has a throne and he moves that throne around. And it, it very well could be. You can ask the Lord at the rapture and I'm sure at that point in time you probably wouldn't be concerned about it. Satan tempts uh, people to pride. First Timothy three, six. So this is the problem with pride is that Satan is behind it because you ask yourself, what causes you and I to think of ourselves as being any more than what we are? We don't even have control over when we're going to live or die. Or what's going to happen to us at any time? Yet you see people walking around with their nose in the air and, and because they have some position of authority or because they have some possession or whatnot. And they think that they're hot to trot. Right. Well, obviously, what what does it matter? Who are you? I mean, we're just people. And so notice Paul warns the church that you don't want a guy um, in the office of pastor teacher who is a novice because Satan will blow up his, puff him up with pride. Notice he says in verse five, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice lest being lifted up with pride, he shall fall into the condemnation of the devil. And so here you, this idea of pride, um, uh, and what it does is the, uh, is the word too, too false to be blown up, to have a, uh, to, um, have a blow up, uh, blown up view of, of who he is, a blown up opinion of who he is. Satan tempts believers through lust against saints. So notice in Second Corinthians 2, Um, You have these uh, Corinthian believers who did not want to forgive the guy uh, that had the problem in 1 Corinthians 5. And so if you are engaging in unforgiveness of someone, um, again, nobody here has said this, but other people outside say, I will never forgive you for that. I will never. I can never forgive you for that. Well, do you realize the moments that those words come out of your lips that Satan Has gotten you into a temptation. And so that's what that's his M.O. Right. So notice here in second Corinthians chapter two. Verse 10 to whom you forgive anything I forgive also for if I forgave anything to whom I forgive it forgave it for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Why verse 11 Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices, or really, we're not ignorant of the things that he does to work against our minds or the conclusions of our minds. Have you ever been in a situation where you, somebody did something and you thought, ah, I might as well just go ahead and forgive the person. And then all of a sudden the thought occurs in your mind, but look at what they did to you. But what about this? And before you know it, you get angry all over again. <laughs> and it's like you're reliving it. And Satan's behind it. Anytime that you and I have this issue of unforgiveness, notice some of the other things um, Satan tempts b- b- uh, b- uh, m- people to steal. It's kind of an odd thing. You wouldn't think that, it's, um, that Satan would do that. But stealing really is associated with lying. In a way. And Satan is behind people who steal. And really it's the word. You have uh, two different kind of words there in in the New Testament. You have the word for robber and then you have the one for uh, somebody who steals by stealth. Uh, Klepto. Right. And and that's what I if I'm not mistaken, the word is there. Satan tempts corrupt communication. uh, And the Ephesians were engaging in corrupt communication there in Ephesians chapter four. Um, and we saw all the Satan tempts with gossip and also to be a busybody. These are two things that they pretty much predominate the American culture today. Gossip and busybodiness, being concerned about other people's issues and then spreading it things that are not true about people. And this is satanic. And so you walk through the, um, the grocery store and this is what's on display, right? Uh, all, all kinds of magazines talking about people's lives. It's, every time you walk through there and you see some of this, it just makes you want to puke some of the stuff that they're talking about. <clears throat> Satan provides the blueprint as to how to... Over, uh, excuse me, Scripture provides the blueprint as to how to overcome Satan. And so their spiritual weapons are the means of countering satanic lust. Spiritual weapons have the ability to counter satan's uh, satanic lust by redirecting the believer's mind back to his position in Christ. And so notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you have this that Paul says that you and I have spiritual weapons that are able to overcome spiritual problems. The problem is today is that as a believer, if I do not recognize I cannot use conventional weapons to overcome Satan or his demons, I'm wasting my time. They don't work. And so you have to use the provisions that God has given. Now notice in Second Corinthians chapter 10, now I, Paul, beseech you by, in the meekness and gentleness of Christ who is present and, uh, and based among you, but absent and bold towards you. But I beseech you that I may be bold when I am present with the confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some that think of us as having walked according to the flesh. But though we walk in flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But a mighty unto God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into into captivity every thought into the obedience of the Christ. And so here are these spiritual weapons. Notice the believer overcomes Satan by using spiritual weapons, which is to be sober minded. We saw in first Peter four five eight. And so this idea of being aware of what's going on. You know, one of those things that they say, and I was telling Joyce about it, some of these um, um, security guys, they say one of the problems with crime in America is that most people are susceptible to it because they're not aware of their surroundings. And they showed pictures of people walking down the street at night and, they're f- and looking at their phone, paying no attention to what's going on around them. Is totally unaware of what's going on. And it makes them very susceptible to what's happening. And I think that here, from a spiritual standpoint, this is uh, with regard to Satan. Be vigilant, which is watchful, giving uh, strict attention to a thing, to be awake, to be humble, uh, to be of a low-lying or uh, not prideful, uh, being empowered uh, in the believer's position. And notice in Ephesians 6.10, and we'll stop, we'll end here, because it gets to the putting on of the armor. Now, notice in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Now, I, I really believe, again, there's an empowerment that is necessary, and you see it in verse 10, in order to overcome Satan. I don't believe it's, it's possible for you to have consistent victory without being able to access uh, this position or this empowerment that you get from your position in the Lord. Now notice in verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong. I really, I would translate that, be empowered in the Lord. Now, in the Lord is that you're seeing yourself as a servant. I'm just a servant, which Raxton goes back to what he says in First Peter about um, a humility of mine. I don't just say to myself, okay, I'm going to be humble. I like the way that Dr. at he used to say it all the time. He says, if you have to say that you're doing something, you're probably not doing it. If I have to say to my wife, I am now loving you, I'm probably not doing it. And so it's a, it comes as a result as you're living in your position, you're seeing the fact that Christ is the Lord. He's my master. I am just a servant. I'm just a servant. There's an empowerment as the believer comes and notice in the Lord is looking at that aspect of uh, the believer in his position. Uh, and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the word there's actually the methods of the devil. Now, he's going to tell you why. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness. Uh, really, it's in the heavenlies. Verse 13. Wherefore, take for you the whole armor of God that you might be able or you might have an ability or you might, excuse me, be made to stand or to resist um, in the evil day. Now, why does he say the evil day? Because Satan is not attacking all the time. So there's specific times in which Satan will attack you. He's not attacking you all the time. So you put on the armor whenever that occasion, you recognize that that occasion has come. That's when you put on the armor. <clears throat> and so notice, um, and, and, and by the way, Satan, I don't believe, has the ability, he's not omnipresent, so he can't be everywhere at the same time. So mostly what most uh, people are experiencing is attacks from demons. And uh, if you get a um, visit from Satan, you're probably you're you're doing something. You're making some headway, (laughs) Uh, and I think that he probably saves it for people who are. And he says, "Uh, "Take on the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand." Uh, Having done all to uh, stand, verse fourteen, standard for with your loins girt with truth. And so, what are loins? Um, and so, in First Peter one thirteen, Peter tells us, we don't even have to guess, that the loins are what? The thoughts that are going through your mind. The thoughts going through the mind. It's actually the word deanoia um, that is used there. And so, that's really hard. So, you, you are evaluating the things that are going through your mind, Relative to what you know scripture says about them. So You're having a proper evaluation of what you are thinking. And how many times have believers just let thoughts that are not true run through their mind. And they latch hold of that and they actually act on those thoughts. And absolutely a lot of it's not true. Right. How many times have you seen someone that you thought had a problem against you? And you had already configured it in your mind that this person is this, this, and this, and that. And then you find out, oops, I was wrong. You talk to the person and find out what a, what a wonderful person that person was. And all that you had conjured up in your mind was completely not true. And Satan can put it there. And so notice the breastplate of righteousness. And um, this is dependent upon God's righteousness. It counters pride and independence. And so you're not dependent upon your righteousness. That's what Satan really wants you to do is to be dependent upon. Oh, I'm righteous. Look at what I've done. No, so I, I have worn 2 Corinthians 521 out. I continue to wear it out. 2 Corinthians 521, he has counted him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. where? in Christ. My righteousness is not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon the righteousness that God accounts to me because of the work that Christ has done on my behalf. The gospel of peace. And so there's, there's good news. Um, now, I believe this is good news is concerning the peace from God that the believer uh, is able to appreciate. Uh, and so it is having the ability to be able to Uh, That good news concerning this uh, good news concerning president's salvation uh, is able to um, counter um, the uh, attacks from Satan and it counters the idleness and stealing and bitterness. The shield of faith, which is, um, again, counters doubt, taking God at his word and believing what God says about his word. Um, And so you have a lot of people today who are really attacking scripture. They're really attacking it. Some of them are attacking it directly. Some are attacking it by making a mockery of it, as you saw with the hermeneutics class and how Courtney said that it was necessary to accurately uh, teach. And so some of those, it's just a mockery made. And so I did not really believe, think about this, I did not really believe that you could take the Bible literally until I got to seminary. And they got in, I got in the class and they were going through class and just interpreting Scripture and I had read all of those Scriptures and I, I, it's just down to me. You mean that you actually, that's, you actually take it for what it says? Think about that. And there's a lot of people out there today who don't believe that you can actually take Scripture for what it says. And as a result of that, They've been robbed of the truth. So you have the helmet of salvation, which is um, remembering what God has given the believer in present tense salvation. And so in salvation, God counts me to be righteous. God says that I am who I am. I'm part of the new creation. All of these things in my present tense salvation that God counts to be so, that God sees me now, in uh, totally different from as I was born into this world. I'm part of a new creation. And what does he say in 2 Corinthians 5? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And I just have counted a lot of believers who just can't leave the past behind. I like to say that a lot of the people, you see a lot of people, they can't let go of the past. It's almost they're like, uh, what's the little uh, character on... Um, the uh, comic strip, Linus, was it? Who was it that had the blanket? Linus. Linus, It had the security blanket. You have people who the past, they keep that little security blanket with them. They don't know who they are without it. And they won't let it go. And it's really killing them. And they just won't let it go. And so here, in our presence in salvation, God sees me as being completely different. And then you have the sword of the Spirit. Now, that's really the word, the word sword. Is the, it's the rhema of God. Now, there was a, a guy in uh, Tulsa that had this rhema Bible college. Now, he took this word rhema and, and really misused it. The word rhema is actually not... So you have two different words to talk about the Word of God. And so you have the logos which is dealing with more of a, a, bigger defi- a bigger picture of the word. The rhema is dealing with specific parts of that logos, you see. And as you saw Courtney did last hour when he was going through Luke, the Lord was taking the individual thing that dealt with what Satan was tempting him with and countering it with scripture that countered that thing that he had put in, uh, that uh, lust that he had brought to him. So it doesn't pay to, when Satan is tempting you to say, um, say if he's tempting me to lie, and I say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I'm sure Satan's looking at it and saying, what? Where did that come from? <laughs> I mean, that's, it really has nothing to do with what he's tempting you with. He's tempting me to lie. I need a scripture that counters that. It's just not any generic and general scripture I just threw out there. And so that word rhema deals with that, a specific utterance that deals with that specific thing that Satan is tempting me with. And then knowing how, the believer has to know how and when to use the armor. And so to know that you're not uh, using it all the time is a huge thing. There's a time of rest when the believer is not fighting Satan and Satan will flee. Let's look at this and we'll end it with this. And I'll give you a test and you can take them home and take the test and bring them back next week. Notice in James chapter four. And verse seven. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. And resist the devil. Now, how do you resist? This is the same word that we saw in Ephesians six um, that says, having done all to stand, stand therefore." This is how you resist, as the believer puts on the armor. Stand, resist, uh, excuse me, resist the devil, and what is it? Here's a promise from Scripture right here, and he will flee from you. We talk about the promises of Scripture, right? Here's a promise right here, that if I stand and resist the devil, he'll flee from me. And you don't even have to pay for that. A lot of problems, and I have found in my 23 years of pastoring, a lot of the problems that believers are having are spiritual problems. And they take spiritual solutions. You have to overcome spiritual problems with spiritual solutions. Without overusing spiritual solutions, all you're doing is just beating the air. You're just beating the air. And the world keeps trying to tell you other means of doing it. Because they want you to beat the air, and oh, by the way, they're making merchandise of you. By the way, they're making merchandise of you. And it's just so sad to me. We have such great ability as believers to overcome our enemies. We have, if the unsaved people understood what we have to know how to live this life, they would be envious. There's no reason why we cannot glorify God by overcoming our spiritual enemies. We have everything we need. Peter said it, you have everything pertaining to life and godliness. You and I are lacking not one thing to do what God has asked us to do. Not one thing. And man, when you realize this, God can really use you in this world. And it makes a huge difference. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things in the Christian life. Just thankful, Father, for your provisions You did not leave us here without providing us the things that we need. We have everything that we need to be able to accomplish those things that you desire of us. And I would pray that you would give us the courage to continue to apply those things. And as we're able to do so and live by grace, that we're able to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in our life and that we can be able witnesses for for you as the uh, Holy Spirit is able to transform us from the inside out and you could be glorified and we would Be so thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.